0: There's peace and rest waiting for you. That's next right here on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. Sigh on built with hands and in this place got to dwell with man. Sick be in the crippled singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love and harmony. Let this world know me by your love. Utopia, a perfect place and society. Without a doubt, it is greatly sought after and longed for. What does it speak of? Is there an answer to the restless yearnings deep within? Can we find true rest and peace? We'll delve into these big questions today on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray there is indeed a rest available and there's a way to access it today. To explain from Hebrews chapter 3 starting in verse 12, here's Pastor Ed. Beware, brethren,
1: lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God But exhort or literally encourage one another daily, while it is called today lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned? whose corpses fell in the wilderness, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter because of unbelief. Therefore, since the promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear or be concerned that anything of you seem to have come short of it, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them but the word which they heard did not profit them not being mixed with faith in those who heard it for we who have believed do enter the rest that he has said so I swore my wrath to those who were unbelievers they shall not enter my rest although the works were finished from the foundations of the world for he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains that some must enter it. And those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. And again, he designates a certain day. Saying in David today, after such a long time as it has been said, today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts, For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterwards have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. So you heard the word rest multiple times, and this section of Scripture is talking about that concept This is a junior high joke warning, okay, an alert. I asked some of them to share their jokes with me and every once in a while one will come up and hand it to me and run, kind of like it's some sort of a drug deal or something. So so just a little disclaimer. Why don't ants get sick? Because they have tiny little antibodies. (laughs) I have kleptomania but when it gets bad, I take something for it. (laughs) You have to think about that. But here's the one that fits what we're talking about. How does Moses make his coffee? He brews it. (laughs) He brews it. Thank you. (laughs) Everyone else moaned. (laughs) Okay. So we're talking about rest. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about Coming to a place where we are fully, completely satisfied. Dreams about a perfect place have been on men's minds for centuries. Many non-Christians have drawn pictures or written books about this concept, the possibilities of paradise, of Eden, of heaven. When Sir Thomas More in 1516 wrote his book on the subject, he called it Utopia because the Greek word utopia means no place. He didn't believe it was possible that there would be some place that good. Many attempts have been made in history to find or create such a place by governments, by politics, where life approaches perfection. But of course, it doesn't happen, not here on this earth. Plato, the Greek philosopher, wrote his book and entitled it Republic. It is, of course, a misnomer because no one in America would agree (laughs) that a republic form of government is a utopia, no matter what your political persuasion. Yet the dreaming has not stopped, probably because it represents something latent, something dormant in every one of our hearts and minds. Scripture in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes, says God has put eternity in our hearts. We may rail against God, be a flaming, arrogant atheist, as I was for years, but still we know somehow inside us that there's more than just this, this earth and this life that we are all living at this moment. C.S. Lewis believed that God spoke to us whenever we slowed down enough to contemplate nature around us. It might be sitting next to a mountain stream and watching it go by. Some moment of nostalgia, he called it, a beautiful sunset or a waterfall. Uh, sitting in some grass, he said, and on a warm summer day, take a bite out of a fresh peach or watermelon or a cantaloupe and have it explode with juice running down your chin kind of moment. Some would sit quietly on the deserted beach and listen to the surf roar or perhaps a pitch black night, this time of year you look up and you see the Milky Way extending from one end of the sky to the other. All these moments where we sense some familiarity, something that touches the core of our being, I believe is this concept of eternity in our hearts. They will all naturally have a longing for perfection, for justice, for things to be fair the way they ought to be, the way that they should be. A yearning for heaven, a hunger for eternity, the ultimate rest of rests. So it's this subject that this section of scripture speaks about. And it uses a very negative thing to compare, to contrast, like a diamond set in a black field so it would stand out. The writer of Hebrews, we're not sure who it is, uses the concept of the Jews who had been rescued out of Egypt, who were able to come out of slavery, could trust God to get them out after they saw 10 miracles of astounding things but they couldn't believe that God would get them into a place of rest, the promised land. And so the author is comparing the Jews of that day, 1,400 years before this letter was written, and the first century Jews who had received Jesus as their Messiah that he's writing to. I had a professor that said that he thought this section right here that we're looking at is the most difficult to follow in the entire Bible. Obviously, the author is brilliant. And you're not quite sure until you slow down enough to take it all apart what he's even talking about. So if you were a little mystified as I was reading that to you, most people are. The first time they encounter, if this is your first time encountering this, you'll see it has lots of strange uh, jumps in logic. But the main theme is unbelief, failing to put into practice the things they believe, kept them from finding rest and that's what he says in several different ways from several different perspectives also we have seen and we will see in the rest of the book that the author is warning them about stepping away from a relationship with God and trying to keep a religious relationship with God. Stepping away from a personal one-on-one God and me relationship and going back to what they were were familiar with which was keeping of the Old Testament laws for a relationship with God. 613 commandments. Just doing the things almost by rote rather than having a personal relationship with God that requires a daily check-in with the creator of the universe, if you will. So the dangers that he, are fivefold, the first one we saw as being drifting in chapter two, the danger for a believer of just not staying focused and drifting away from a relationship with God. The one he speaks of here, and we heard it twice at the beginning, verse 12, and then the end of chapter three, verse 19, is the word unbelief. And when he says that, what he means is, and he explains it actually, is faith that is not put into action. They believed that God could get them out of slavery. When they got to the promised land, they believed the land was there. But they would not pull the trigger. They would not make the decision. They wouldn't step out. Faith unexercised is only belief that isn't in fact true. True belief moves you to exercise faith.
0: This is Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. He's reminding us from Hebrews chapter 3 of the dangers of drifting and unbelief. We'll focus now on the danger of unbelief. Beginning with acting upon what we know to be true, here's Pastor Ed. Truth done, truth acted upon, delivers changes in your
1: life, in mine. The subject of hardening of heart is here. That is a choice that we make to steel ourselves against something God is saying. Jesus spoke of that in Luke 16, 31. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one even rises from the dead. Persuaded to believe and act on it is the point. Faith that is active. So the author is concerned about first century Jews who have received Jesus as their savior and they were about to make, or some of them have already made the same mistake that the Jews who spent 40 years with Moses in the wilderness made. Namely, they were clinging to Moses instead of to God. They were clinging to rules and regulations instead of resting in what God was doing for them. They just couldn't believe what Romans 10.4 says. Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness. It's done to everyone that believes. He satisfied righteousness, rightness before God, a right standing before the judge of all the earth. You and I. We have a right standing if we will receive the righteousness of Christ. And we'll try and work our way through this. Okay, difficult area. A lot of controversial scriptures here that theologians argue about. I will make some assumptions on the basis of my study. And you can disagree with me. But as I often say, but then when we get to heaven, you're going to have to live with me for eternity saying, I told you so. And so, be ready for that. Three parts unbelief, 3, 12 through 19. Don't harden your own hearts, 1 through 7, and then cease from working your way to heaven, 8 through 10. Here we go. 12, we looked at last time. Beware, brethren, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. There's the bracket. You'll say it again in verse 19, of departing from the living God. Doubt is not the same thing as unbelief. Doubt is healthy. I need you to teach me, Lord. Unbelief is saying, I refuse to act on what I know is true. Departing from the living God, pointing out that of course we may have gone forward at a Billy Graham crusade raised our hand here. You can be baptized. We had a great baptism last week. You can join a church, attend weekly. Yet when the A test comes in your life and in mine that somehow uh, when we're confronted with something we know we can't control ourselves, we default to fighting it. They're called giants, as they were back then in 1400 BC and in the first century and to this day. Giants like anxiety, fear, bitterness, jealousy, envy, unforgiveness— All these things keep us in turmoil and keep us from stepping out into truth that will set us even freer. But exhort, verse 13, the word is literally encourage, some of your translations say that. Encourage one another daily while it is called today. Don't let the day go by without doing that, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now this is a really strong verse for you and I to be involved in small groups. This is saying we need to know people and they know us well enough that we can encourage them and they can encourage us. We have all kinds of small groups. And as we first come to the Lord, we want as much of God as we can. We go to church all the time. We hang out with other Christians. We have home Bible studies. We have men's group. We have women's group. We have couples ministry. Just find a small group It might take a little work. You might have to visit several of them until you find a group of people that you say, these are my people. And there's some people here I can relate to. And then you encourage them and they encourage you. It keeps us fresh in the Lord. When you default to just a Sunday morning, maybe once or twice a month, your own faith is being eroded. That's what this is saying. Faith unused is faith that is changing. So get involved. Encourage one another to daily and don't put it off. Do it today because there's a hardening that takes place. Today, time is short. We're all here for a short time and then we're gone. Verse 14 For we have become partakers of Christ, we've taken him in Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus is living in us. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, The proof of someone's heart being changed is that they continue to walk with the Lord. We need more. I need more of Jesus in my life. I look for people that love Jesus more than I do, and I want to hang with them because it strengthens me. It challenges me. It encourages me to go deeper. Verse 15, While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Okay, so our author is speaking to Jews, and so he defaults to this familiar story to all the Jews who've read the Exodus. Uh, Hopefully you're at least familiar with it. So the reader is reminded of the children of God being released from a prison, from slavery in Egypt for 400 years, and then coming out and being released, being led by Moses. But the Israelites took their eyes off God and put them on Moses, the leader, and on the rules and regulations he brought down from Mount Sinai. Without faith, we'll see when we get to chapter 11, without active faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he exists, and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I believe that any person on the earth, no matter how bad or far they seem to be from God, all they have to do is seek him and he will be found. That's what he said. If you seek me, I will be found. Well, how do you seek? You say, Jesus, show yourself to me. Show yourself in a way I can't deny it. That's a dangerous prayer. Because God will answer, and all your well-practiced atheism will explode in a cloud of dust. I know, that's exactly what happened to me. And if you're there, we will really show yourself. I expected nothing to happen. But the creator of the universe does not miss an opportunity to make you look like the fool you are. <laughs> and so I was so blessed. All right, may it happen to any arrogant atheist within the sound of my voice. <laughs> Keep those cards and letters coming. Verse 16. For who, having heard, rebelled? And he's going to ask three questions. So, who is it that rebelled? Was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Maybe two million people, they rebelled. Actually, there were two exceptions Joshua and Caleb who were able to go in. But even Moses himself didn't go into the promised land. Again, they didn't have the faith. Verse 17, he's still using this very negative picture. Now, with whom? Was he angry 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? Now, when it says the word sin, we want to avoid that word. just move on, Pastor. No, no, no. Their sin was unbelief. They had plenty of others, okay? (laughs) They're like you and I. We have a whole laundry list of things that need to be brought to the Lord. But their sin was not believing God. And that's still the sin that keeps people out of eternity. Refusing to accept Jesus' sacrifice for my sins, for your sin. Believe. Say that. God, I choose to believe. Dispel that unbelief that's overwhelming your heart right now. I choose to believe that you're there and that you died for me. Help me to understand that. Just humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up. Those are all scriptures, I'm saying. That's his promise. Verse 18. And third question. To whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? Here's a controversial subject. Disobeyed is not the word. It's really no belief without belief. They refused to believe, unbelief—a refusal to believe that God was going to take them into a promised land, into a place of rest. So, verse 19, we see that they could not enter in because of da da unbelief. So there's the bracket. The problem was unbelief. Now, the promised land, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, is not heaven. We are going to heaven, but that's not what Canaan was for them. And we have a lot of old American hymns and gospel songs that speak of Canaan as heaven. It is not. swing loaves, weak chariot, etc. Because the land of Canaan had giants to battle. Heaven does not. <laughs> They're already done. So what is Canaan? Canaan is walking in the spirit. Stepping out in faith. Moving on with the Lord. Whatever works for you to wrap your mind around it. To make a decision to follow Jesus wherever he goes. Jesus as Lord of your life. That is the spirit filled life. Having the Holy Spirit within you. Which everyone gets who surrenders to Jesus. You remember. The new covenant. God speaking. I will take out your heart of stone. I will put in... heart of flesh I will write my law of love on your heart and I will cause you to walk in my ways that's the new covenant notice how much God does and how little we do we get to say I surrender (laughs) I give you my life Lord who would want it take all my sins Take them away. And he says, okay, give me that hard heart. Here's a fresh one. Unbelief, shut out the Israelites to a life of rest, walking with God, Him doing the work.
0: A fantastic truth Pastor Ed Ray has emphasized on today's Grow in Grace. There's rest for you. Don't let unbelief rob you of the life the Lord will freely give you. If you missed a portion of today's study, simply go online to thepackinghouse.org and you'll find our programs are archived there for you. We can also send you a CD copy if that's preferred. Here's where to reach us, 844-77-GRACE. Again, that's 844-77-GRACE. Our prayer is that you'll grow in grace through this study of Hebrews. And if a question comes to mind, or you're in need of prayer, or would just like to express something that's on your heart, please do email us at PackinghouseRadio@aol.com. at AOL.com. Again, PackinghouseRadio@aol.com. at Today, we'd like to offer you an inspirational book from Elizabeth Elliot called Through Gates of Splendor. This classic bestseller recalls the story of five missionaries who dared to share the good news with a Stone Age tribe deep in the jungles of Ecuador. And while they were martyred for their faith in Jesus, their story lives on, inspiring thousands to follow in their courageous footsteps. Through Gates of Splendor, our featured resource is available for a gift of any amount to grow in grace. You can give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844 844- 77 grace and thank you for helping us get out the good news of jesus to a world in need pastor ed ray writes a daily devotional that you can access through our website you can read these biblical and relevant devotionals at thepackinghouse.org, and look for us on his channel tv where we're studying colossians right now our series in hebrews continues next time we meet and we hope you can join us for that. This has been Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray, a daily presentation of the Packing House Christian Fellowship. Zion, I all now build with hands And in this place gotta dwell with the crippled stands Singing hallelujah My kingdom built with the blood of my son Selfless sacrifice for everyone Faith, hope, love, and harmony Let this world know me by your love